we've been able to amass somewhere between 500 and 1,000 subscribers in a very short period of time doing this. And it's starting to see results. I know that the results are happening because people start their sales conversation with me and say, I was listening to this episode of your podcast and it was really interesting. Let's talk about it. It resonated with me. So I know that it's working. I don't need an attribution report or metrics to tell me that. Welcome to our weekly show, Brands at Podcasts, where we focus on one thing only, showing you behind the scenes of how some of the best brands in the world are using podcasting to grow. All right, Chris, welcome. So before we dive into some of the podcasting strategies that I know you talk a lot about amongst all the other marketing tactics and techniques and strategies you share a lot on LinkedIn, a little background here is that you run a company called Refine Labs, which is demand generation for B2B companies primarily. And I'm not sure, I was, I was sharing a little bit before we, before we started recording, I'm not sure exactly how you came across my timeline on LinkedIn. And I guess that's actually the power of LinkedIn itself. But one day I saw one of your posts where you're talking about how most companies have it wrong when it comes to lead quality and attribution and then another post on how you're driving millions of dollars of revenue, not just leads, through two things. Your podcast, the State of Demand Gen podcast, which I listen to. It's amazing. I, I really recommend everybody check that out. And then through LinkedIn organic posts. And that's what I'm excited to dive in today is, is really how you think about these things and, and specifically podcasting, how podcasting I've seen you share a little bit about how that is sort of the content pillar of a lot of this and, and how that all fits together. So uh, maybe first to start, for those who don't know, could you maybe just give a little bit of a, a better description of Refine Labs and maybe why you started it and, and what you're helping companies do through it? Yeah, for sure. Really happy to be here. So about spent my whole career in, in marketing and product management, and then about five years ago, I built a demand gen function from the ground up by myself inside of a $30 million growing business. And when I entered that company, it was 100% field sales outbound driven. So SDRs or AE source, very little marketing coming from rep, very little revenue coming from marketing, marketing essentially supported with trade shows and sales enablement, which I think a lot of marketing teams fall into, mm. especially in sales driven companies. And so when I started to execute that for a two-year period of time, I did all of the things that I'm doing right now just for that brand. And I saw what the impact was. I saw how sales cycles got shorter, more inbound people came in asking us to buy. The win rates of those opportunities were much higher. The revenue contribution from inbound source versus outbound continued to get better. The pipeline velocity was stronger. All of the metrics were headed in the right direction. And for whatever reason, still couldn't get the company to take the leap, the leap being to make a more significant change to how they actually go to market by focusing significantly more on, on marketing and less in sales from a budgeting, a headcount, a focused perspective, and how that could change the dynamics of a growing business, which would then allow you to invest more in product and innovation and customer success and different things like that. A lot of companies can't do that because they have so much budget invested in an inefficient sales channel, which then prevents them from investing in other infrastructure around the business that helps customers and the business overall be successful. And so I did it at that company. I went to a much smaller startup, saw all of the same things. I just basically went into companies and studied for like five years. I just studied why decisions were made, 
how people acted, what people thought, what results happened when we made certain changes, found all of the things that I liked, saw all the things that I didn't like that I thought I had a better solution to. And then a wonderful opportunity came to me, which was that I was asked to resign from a company and which was perfect for me because it put me in a place where I didn't feel like I was ready, but you never will. And in that environment, I have over the past 16 or so months really thrived in in this place and uh, really looking forward to continuing. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's crazy. The unexpected path, like you can kind of look back and see how all the dots connect, but that's cool that it's led you here and super impressed by what you've done thus far in such a short time. So before we dive into like the podcast channel specifically, could you share, like, let's zoom out a little bit and could you share a little bit more about what you see as like the standard playbook today for most companies to generate demand and brand awareness and like where you think some of those flaws are in the approach. You know, I see you talk a lot about generating leads, which is great. You know, like, okay, we have, we're getting this number of leads coming through. We're all hitting all of our numbers. And then an insanely low number of those leads are actually converting, like that being one example. But could you share a little bit more about what you're seeing in that area? Yeah, I mean, I'll kind of generalize here. It's going to vary between companies and what types of products they're selling and who they're selling to and things like that. But in general, companies, in my view, are not really creating any demand. They're just Mm. generating a bunch of contacts so that they can cold call or go outbound to them. And so inside of that, the things that they're doing, content syndication that can drive $50 leads that never close, wide Google AdWords on broad match to download eBooks for people that never close, LinkedIn or other paid social channel direct response to ebook or content mid funnel, or even sales conversions that close at a very low rate, very little investment in brand channels, like a podcast or LinkedIn organic or any or YouTube, or a weekly show or web different things like that, that are not driven, that are if they're not measured on leads, then companies aren't doing them. And so in general, those are those are some of the things that I'm I see frequently. I measure the metrics beyond the lead and cost per lead metric, and and continuously see how ineffective it, it is and inefficient it is to do it that way. It basically stems from the idea, in my view, a couple different different things. One, ten years ago, B two B companies were one hundred percent sales driven. And now the leadership of those companies continues to think about things like salespeople. And so their marketing team gets measured on metrics that are more similar to business development metrics than actual marketing metrics. So I think that is, that's one of them. And yeah, like that's what I'm saying. So, you know, in a response to that, you are kind of pushing the, the envelope on where a lot of companies probably have some opportunity in some of these brand channels that may be overlooked because of historical sort of preference and momentum that has been built over the last 10 years, like you mentioned. So out of all of the channels, like why do you believe so strongly in in podcasting? And like, can you share a little bit about what you've seen from the podcast channel in general and, and like maybe specifically like how you're using it with the state of demand gen? Yeah. So the f- the first point is the value of the podcast has very little to do with the podcast that's on Spotify or Apple. 
there are so many other nuances to the the reasons why I do a podcast other than that. The idea that I can network with 20 people. So I'm doing a thing with Gatano Dinardi every week. Maybe in three years from now, he either passes me a client or he become comes and works with us or whatever those things are. That's called mm-hmm. karma and doing the right thing. I interview people that are SVPs of growth at certain companies. And then the person that works underneath them comes inbound to me six months later. Mm. Those are some of the things that happen when you're not looking for them. And then from there, it's all of the content that is created underneath it that fuels the LinkedIn channel, our email channel, our YouTube channel. The podcast becomes a repository, which I'm very high on. If we look at the consumption metrics between the exact same thing that we're putting on YouTube versus podcast, podcast is winning. That's because mm. ha- people prefer to consume it in audio format. It's just easier than watching it on video. And so that's one of the nuances that I'm seeing. And yeah, we've been able to amass somewhere between 500 and 1,000 subscribers in a very short period of time doing this. And it's starting to see results. I know that the results are happening because people start their sales conversation with me and say, I was listening to this episode of your podcast and... It was really interesting. Let's talk about it. It, re- it resonated with me. So I know that it's working. I don't need an attribution report or metrics to tell me that. But it's the the value underneath it in networking and micro content production and forcing someone to create the content. So having a schedule on Tuesday evenings tonight of always doing an hour of content that will fuel LinkedIn for the next week mm. is really important. So how do you do that? You'll take the episode tonight and then does it go through a process like with your yourself, your team? And because I see on LinkedIn, like you're kind of chopping these videos and sort of micro like one or two minute videos, which I think is stemming from your podcast. Mm-hmm. So how do you, is there like a process or a system you use for that? Yeah, we have we have quite an in-depth process that we continue to innovate and build. So first off, the pillar the top level pillar can be a lot of different things. It could be a guest on a podcast like what we're doing right now. It could be the demand gen live session that I host with Gatano every week. It mm-hmm. could be our own podcast where we invite people on to talk about sales enablement or other parallel ideas and topics that are relevant to our audience. All those things are top level. From there, let's just look at the idea of the demand gen live session. So we'll finish recording that at about 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. Mm-hmm. The audio, video, and all those files will get ripped, put on box. It'll automatically get processed for YouTube. It'll premiere on YouTube at 9 a.m. the next day. It'll go on podcasts sometime around noon the next day. And all of the micro clips will be ready to go beginning on Thursday. And so that's the process that we take. We'll usually get about, I don't know, somewhere between three and seven clips from my own content. We'll also get somewhere between three and seven clips from Gatano or another guest mm. that then we'll use on the company page. And so yep. it's just, I mean... This the idea of taking a long form pillar and chopping it up, whether it's an ebook to micro content or a video or a podcast, any of those different things. The concept's not new. I think just how we execute it in a B2B environment is quite unique and forward thinking. Is that done internally or do you like did you find some freelancers to kind of put all that together? Or like how did you come up with the actual flow? At the beginning it was freelancers. Now it's all done in-house. Cool. It is it's all we do for business development. We spend no money on ads. We spend, we do no outbound sales. We do no outbound emailing. So like that is, that's the business development department. Why do you think that, so you've grown the show to, you said like 500, 2000 subscribers, and then it is this center content pillar that basically generates all your content across all the other channels. 
why do you think that most companies aren't doing this yet? Do you like, have you spoken with companies to be able to hear why they are maybe skeptical or may, or maybe agree with it, but can't do it for some reason? Like, are there any Mm -hmm. reasons you think that this is an underutilized approach? I think it comes down to three core reasons. The first one is that the marketers that they have might not know the buyers at a level where they can actually Mm -hmm. bring value. Mm -hmm. So the podcast doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Number two, they're doing too many things that are not effective that they can't put in the time required for this execution to be successful. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to make a LinkedIn organic channel work well when you spend 1% of your time on it. Yep. That's number two. Three, companies and executives refuse to, to understand how to measure this in the right way which then prevents them for thinking that it's working. They, when they see a lead come through Google search, they would never think that someone listened to the podcast and then searched the brand in Google when they heard about it. They'll think they'll give credit to Google search and then put $10,000 more into SEO, which is stupid. What is the timeline? So in that measuring, I think that measuring topic is really interesting because it is, it's so tough. What is the timeline you would say is a good estimate to at least have anecdotal or qualitative, maybe some quantitative too, feedback that this is like going the right direction, basically. Is there is there some, and, and I'm sure it varies for everybody depending on average lifetime value, what your product is, you know, all these various mm-hmm. things, but how would you look at the timeline for this? As long as necessary until there's a better thing to do. <laughs> and so if you're, not, if you're not getting the results, then it's, on, it's you. Mm. It's not the channel. Mm. The channel works. And so I think that I think people don't give it enough time because of how they measure it. On the flip side, they don't have the right people or the right talent on the thing, which therefore never gets it to work, which is why they shut it down. So there's like two competing forces here mm-hmm. of companies don't believe in it enough to put good people on it. I have I am consistently confused as to why companies do not have their top three subject matter experts creating content for LinkedIn every day. Mm. At least one is a full-time job. Have no idea why no company has thought about that. Mm. Like Gong is doing it and that's like sort of their job and the amount of awareness that they're creating inside of that outreach is the same way. Like sales tech makes sense. Other companies that sell to different personas are not doing that. And so not having the right talent in place to actually execute and bring value to buyers and know the framework to do it. And then the second one is not giving it enough time or measuring it in the right way for it to be successful. And so like, I, I'm never measuring the podcast and the amount of revenue that it generates. Like it's not, it's, that's not how to measure it. And so, yes, I can have anecdotal feedback of, a message that says your podcast is great. I can have a sales conversation that starts with your podcast. I was listening to your podcast and I can have a demo request or a consultation request come through the website that says, by the way, just for your attribution, I was listening to your podcast is how I found out about you. I can have all those things which are qualitative, but regardless of that, I'm doing it anyway because I know I have 500 people listening to it and I know that it fuels everything underneath it, which is even more valuable. A lot of times we come up against this question too, which is like 502,000 people is actually three, four, five times larger than most podcasts. But it's still, when you compare it to like LinkedIn followers on some some really popular accounts or email new, you know, lists, like it seems relatively small, but they're listening to you talk for 30 to 60 minutes like every week. And the, the depth of that relationship 
is immense. So do you think that this is a strategy that works for almost every brand? Like, do you think that every brand could benefit from trying this strategy? Or do you think there are certain factors that make this a more obvious choice depending on product, industry, you know, expertise, like various factors that make this more obvious other than other channels? Or how do you think about that? I see no reason why every company shouldn't be doing this. And the, the way that I think about when is the right time is the first st- you have to start from the closer mm. at the bottom of the funnel mm-hmm. conversion like if you should not be recording a podcast if your website sucks you should not be recording a podcast if you can't hand off a lead to your sales rep yep. and close them you should not be recording a podcast if you do not have your non-branded adwords terms completely locked in and generating positive roi you should not be recording a podcast if you cannot create pictures and videos and blogs for Facebook paid, delivered, targeted to your buyers that drive awareness of the problems that you solve, the differentiation of your product, the features of your product, the value and opportunity that it provides to people. And once you have all of those things figured out, mm-hmm. now is the time to focus on the podcast. And so I think that if you think about it in that order, it puts you in a very good position where the the things that have the most meaningful results are done and optimized and well oiled and you have the people that are doing that mm. which creates the space for you to not need to get a lead from the podcast on the first episode mm. yes cuz once you do that that process from there is optimized for for success yeah and then you continuously optimize you can add channels you can change yep. content types inside of this paid engine and then over time if you do things the right way, the podcast actually over indexes against a lot of the other performance mm. channels that you're paying money for, mm. right? Like the SaaS company that is selling to construction firms, ABM, right? Mm. Like small TAM, big like enterprise construction firms has a hundred, a uh, hundred potential customers they can sell to. The odds of them getting four customers from the podcast is higher than mm. them finding them in SEO. It's just my, just my feeling like, so let's take that example. Like what type of show should they create to help, help execute on that strategy? Like, cause there's, there's a variety of different opinions on creating a show around your expertise, like your company, your team, your product, your service, or your prospect or client's expertise, inviting guests on that could potentially end up becoming customers, you know, taking clips sharing, overcoming objections and using those in the sales process, like a whole variety of different types of content. But how would you think about it in in that case that you just described to help them land those four, four customers over, you know, another channel? My thought is all of them and then follow what's working. Yep. Like if you look, if you look closely at our podcast, it's mashed with like a variety of different content types. There's the demand gen live, which is the live mm-hmm. Q and a portion. There are episodes of me being a guest on a podcast. There are episodes of me interviewing people on a podcast. There are episodes of audio ripped from live events that we did mm-hmm. before COVID happened. And so like putting all those things together and then following what's what's working, what's resonating. You can you have metrics on consumption, which are you need to take with a grain of salt because a lot of it has to do with how long the episode was the top episode or mm-hmm. how the, like mm-hmm. how you're posted that was driving to it. And so like there's an interesting kind of like topic that I've been talking about a lot recently, which I feel passionate about, which is like 
the metrics only matter with the correct analysis underneath it. Mm -hmm. We need to we need to have empathy and common sense put on top of our analysis of metrics to understand what it's like as a buyer or somebody consuming the information. It's so true. Yeah, that's what I was just saying too about, you know, the 500 podcast subscribers versus let's say like an email list of 30,000 people, for example. People think that the numbers matter. Right. They don't. Like they they matter to a point, but the goal of a podcast is not for me to have, um, I mean, it would be wonderful if this happened, but the goal is not to have a million people listening to the podcast. It's to have a thousand of the right people because if a thousand of the right people do it and even 1% or 2% become customers, that's millions of dollars in revenue. Like, and people just don't think about it that way. And it's like the relative affinity to a brand of somebody that consumes 60 minutes of the information that you put out versus reading a two sentence text post on LinkedIn that gets 10 times as many views. Right. I would much rather have the 60 minute podcast listen, but people don't think about it that way because they're trained to think that more numbers is better. Yeah, that's it's it's such a contrarian way to look at it, but I think that's why there's so much advantage for brands that are doing this right now because there's actually not a lot of podcasts in each vertical in each in each industry right now compared to like other other channels and mm-hmm. it's also so I'll, I'll give you an example because it's not even about the amount of podcasts because I work with companies that have said there are four blah 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 mm-hmm. podcasts already we're never going to be able to go and do one that's already crowded there's four podcasts what are we going to do and then I called all of them and I said, hey, we're interested in advertising on your podcast. Can you let me know? Because we're going to pay on CPM. Can you let me know how many listens you get per episode? And they told me. And I was like, hey, everyone, all four podcasts get less than 1,000 listens per episode. We, and they're publishing one episode a month. What happens when we promote it effectively and publish an episode a day? How long is it going to take for us to surpass all of these people and have the best podcasts in the industry? Not very long. Correct. And so, it, again, it comes down to focus. If you're publishing one episode a month of your podcast, you might as well not do it. Yeah. So, and that actually, something I wanted to talk with you about too, is like how you're thinking about the podcast feed, the podcast distribution is actually interesting. And it's different than a lot of podcasters and brands that podcast where they have one concept for the type of show they're creating and every episode has to fit into that mold and it has to be possibly very highly produced and things like that. And you're taking all these different audio formats, it sounds like, and putting it through the feed, allowing you to get more volume than, than those that are trying to make this like a, a TV show in audio mm-hmm. format, for example. Like what's your, how do you think about that? Do you see a place for more premium production or do you see it as a healthy balance of needing to get volume plus production? I mean, if you're a media publisher, maybe quality matters a a little bit more. If you're a very large brand, I know your CEO is Mm -hmm. going to be upset if there's a little bit of a glitch in the audio, which I, again, just think is dumb. And so, no, I, I don't see, I think perfection or subjective views of quality get in the way of people actually doing things, especially as mm-hmm. companies get larger. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that we're not going to publish something because I slipped up in one little area 
I'm just not going to do it. I'm also not going to edit it out. Mm. And so it's just like speed is more, more important to me. And just understanding that like most people don't notice the glitch in the podcast anyway. Some even prefer it. I found too. like, it just mm-hmm. sounds more human. Authentic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Switching gears a, a tad on another way we could look at podcasting. I've heard you mention a couple of times that you guest on other shows right now. That's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. How has that impacted things for the state of demand gen for refine labs? Like in general, what do you think about the comparison and difference between having your own show and guesting on other podcasts? I mean, it's it's amazing to get awareness from all the people that listen to a different podcast that may not be listening to mine. And I get messages saying, hey, I saw, listened to you on this podcast. What you said was smart. And so like those things are great. Do I do I measure and care how much that impacts the bottom line? No, it just it's all goes back to the same thing is that the activity of doing it drives so many things underneath it mm. that just the it's just worthwhile doing mm. And so I love being guests on podcasts. I'm very grateful. I get to talk about topics that I might not talk about on my own podcast. I get new ideas introduced. I get questions that I might not have considered. I get different perspectives. I get accessibility to different audiences. Like all those things are amazing. Any executive or any subject matter expert could do the same thing. The problem is that the CFO at the $35 million company does not have the commitment to do the things that I'm doing right now. Do you source those opportunities yourself sometimes or do you, or is it primarily like inbound? Kind of like what I did. I Never. reached out to you and invited you on the show. People here. send me LinkedIn DMs all the time. Like it's a spam message saying, hey, love your podcast. Would love to have our CEO on it. Hmm. They would bring so much value. And I'm like, no. <laughs> if they had so much value, I would ask. You know what I mean? And so... I never send a message saying, can I be on your podcast? It's just like if people think that my viewpoints are interesting and would bring value to their audience, they know where to find me. That's the way that I look at it. I know that people will have a different viewpoint on it, especially people that come from a traditional PR background. Mm. But yeah, that's the way that I've been doing it. That's cool. Yeah. And that is a, a critical piece of that is you've done the work to make yourself known in the marketing industry, in the business industry, B2B tech, to generate that inbound. But for brands who haven't, as long as you're doing outreach like personal and authentic and you have listened to this stuff, it's like the it's same with cold email outreach, like for sales. Like you can do it really good or really poorly. Mm-hmm. And it's a numbers game or a quality game. So the the tour the podcast guesting can can work even if you haven't built up you know a very strong profile yet but mm-hmm. you got to do outreach like really I mean hum- I like that I really like the idea of earning it and mm-hmm. the it doesn't take that long mm-hmm. like I think that I posted four times like had traction on LinkedIn post four times before I started getting invited onto podcasts right. like it doesn't take that long yep the longer that you wait to do it, the more crowded and noisy it's going to be, the longer it's going to take. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just, uh, I don't, I really just don't feel like there's anything that I could say mm. more that could push someone into doing it. It just becomes a binary decision. Are you committed to it or not? Do you see the value in it or not? Totally. Cool. Well, where do you think that this is all going? Like, like I said before, like you're pushing the envelope here. You're pushing people to think a little bit differently on a lot of these topics. 
Do you think that that adoption is going to follow and this trend is going to continue this way or else some companies are going to get left behind and the gap between those who are doing this and who aren't is going to become more aware and or like and for that's more broadly for marketing, but for podcasting specifically, like uh-huh. the future of all this, like where is all of this going? The way this started is because the internet allowed us to have this interaction, right? And so when you were a CPG brand in 1995, you needed to sell through Walmart or CVS or something like that in order to get to the consumer. Now, a million CPG brands put up a Shopify store in 30 days, source the product, and can immediately advertise and get to people. That's the only difference. Mm -hmm. The same thing exists in B2B. The executives in B2B have taken longer to recognize what's happening. And so the way that I see it in B2B is that the Walmart was actually the sales rep Mm -hmm. in the comparison to B2B. Mm -hmm. And so now there are companies that are going over, over Walmart to get to the consumer marketing teams inside of B2B companies need to be going over the sales rep, not in a competitive way, not in a not in a bad way, mm-hmm. but they need to provide air cover to get to the consumer, mm-hmm. which then empowers the sales rep to have the conversation with the consumer. That's the way that I see it. The idea that more companies should be doing it, I think that is incredibly obvious. I think just based on what we talked about earlier in the episode, like there are things that prevent companies from taking this leap, I think that what will happen over time is that as time passes, it's not like companies are going to go out of business tomorrow, Mm. but a a really Mm -hmm. interesting kind of like data point is where was Intercom in 2014 versus where they are now. That's the example. Where is outreach versus sales loft? Mm. These things are playing themselves out. It doesn't happen overnight and it's not like you go out of business. You just get past. There are plenty of five to $20 million marketing agencies that we will pass right by. Mm. And that's the way it's going to be. And so over time, you continuously build a competitive advantage. So while companies are spending all their money on AdWords, Mm. you're doing all these other smart things. And while they're trying to catch up and figure out what to do with the budget from AdWords, you are way over here ahead of them. I was listening to just really interesting enough. I was listening to a, a Kobe Bryant podcast over the weekend or a YouTube video or something and he was like, if you, if people would wake up and work out at nine, and I knew that for the next 20 years, I'm going to wake up at four and work out at five, and I have an extra workout every day, how much further ahead am I going to be with someone for in five years? You won't be ahead of them on day one or mm-hmm. week one, but over time it compounds. Mm-hmm. And so I see that in in the business environment too. I would like to see, I think just like I think a smart way for companies to get started with this, especially if you're like in the $50 million plus range, is create a marketing innovation department that is free from all the bullshit metrics that are currently scored in marketing, mm. where they can, where they have freedom to focus on buyers. They don't have pressure to do all the wrong things and continue to build on those, which then gives them the amount of time to show how it can work. You need to put the right people on that project in order for it to be successful. So it's people, metrics, process, space. But that's, I think that is the lowest friction way to a company that's having trouble starting to get it started. You have a 20-person marketing team. Mm-hmm. Carve out three people that don't need to hit your lead, MQL, SQO number that can go and do things differently and are free to experiment and learn. That's such a good idea. And having that autonomy to do so without the fear of 
their job being on the line, you know, all the sort of standard metrics they're being held accountable towards. It's like a marketing think tank, right? Like SWAT team. Google puts people in a different office where they can experiment and learn and be creative and innovate. Why are we not doing that in the marketing department? That's such a good idea. I love that. Awesome, man. Well, as we kind of wrap things up here, you know, you've shared a lot about how companies can think about rolling out this, this process, this strategy. But if you had like, if you had one final thing that you could leave them with, let's say it's that $50 million brand that you're talking about, you've pitched them on the idea of a marketing innovation department, but they're still unsure. Like what's one final piece of advice that you would say to them to help them think through if podcasting specifically, but this broader marketing approach that you're describing here is something that they should get started with. Think about the last five things that you bought Mm. and then reverse engineer how you bought them and then compare that to what you're doing in marketing and sales. There it is. Like every time in our demand gen lives, we'll ask different questions. When's the last time that you read an ebook and bought something? Raise your hand if it happened in the past six years. Nobody raises their hand. (laughs) You know, how many people listen to a podcast? 80% of people raise their hand. How many people listen to a podcast from a B2B brand? 70% of people raise their hand. It's just like that's it's not like you are so much different than your customer. Right. So, I mean, I think just really thinking deeply about that question would tell you the way to go. Mm. And then the harder part is figuring out how to get it done inside of your company, because most people know, like I talk to enough people, most people know what they're doing is not working. Mm. They just can't change it inside of their company. Mm. I get messages all the time. We're doing, I just saw your post on content syndication. We're spending $300,000 a year on content syndication. It drives a bunch of leads and no revenue. You're right. And I'm like, I know, I just audited 10 Salesforce instances for companies that are doing the exact same thing. It doesn't work. And so people know, it's just the hard part is, is being able to get things done Mm -hmm. without getting fired. And so I have a lot of empathy for that. Like I, I innovate, I like what gets me excited, what gets me up every day is to pave new ground and do new things. When I was in companies, there was points where I couldn't innovate anymore because the company had put up artificial barriers that prevented us from going further, right? And so at that point, I get stuck, frustrated, and I need to leave. And so I think that I don't think that most people would even get to that point of knowing that they need to leave because mm-hmm. they feel secure in their job. And so the idea of challenging what's happening in a hundred million dollar company with at the risk of your job in this climate or any climate for that matter, a lot of people just don't want to do. And so I have a lot of empathy for it. That seems like a, that's a huge insight right there. And that seems like a big bottleneck for us as people helping like push these concepts and ideas forward to help arm those folks who know this is the right thing to do, but like, just can't get it done inside their organization. Have you thought about how to like help arm them with the right, I mean, the information's there, but like, is there any strategies for them to manage up the chain, you know, kind of effectively inside their org? There's two options. It's actually, you try number one, and then if when number one fails, you do number two. Number one is do a detailed analysis of what's happening today in marketing and demonstrate Mm -hmm how ineffective it is. Mm -hmm. So you can measure it on cost per lead, 
cost per qualified opportunity, customer acquisition costs, amount of money spend, return on ad spend. You could, there's a bunch of metrics that you can put forward. You can then put together the sales inefficiencies on top of that when you're generating 10,000 leads that don't close. Mm-hmm. And you can try and calculate and quantify how much time is being wasted by SDRs and account executives doing that. Present that to executives, present them with an alternative path. If they don't see it, then you go to number two, which is find a new place to work with people that understand marketing. Because you're fighting. If option one doesn't work, it's just an uphill battle. You're going to continuously get stuck. It's not like you get over that battle and then magically you can go and do everything you want. You'll have that conversation and you'll have that. It'll slow you down. It'll prevent you from being as successful as you want to be because you're swimming upstream constantly. And so it'd be much better to have people that empower you, that understand marketing, that believe in the concept, that understand how important it is, and you can float down the river on an inner tube versus swimming up on your own. So true. And that <laughs> that's a perfect analogy for us to, to close with, man. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate you sharing your wisdom, your expertise, your thoughts and strategies around all this stuff. Highly recommend. So I, I am one of those 500 to 1,000 subscribers of the State of Demand Gen. Started listening to it and love it. Really recommend everybody check that out to hear more of Chris's thoughts around all this stuff. And anywhere else aside from that and refinelabs.com, Chris, that you want to point people towards? Put it, I push out a lot of content on LinkedIn. So whether you want to learn about marketing or you want to look at my strategy and repurpose it for your own buyers, both ways work. So you can check me out there, Chris Walker. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. Cool. Good to see you, man. Thank you. Thanks.